why do we, why do we um, do this? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I started a new job. Oh, did you? Yeah. What uh, What is it? Uh, so I'm, I'm an assistant teacher at an after-school science program. That's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Are you qualified? <laughs> yep. I mean, am I alive? <laughs> yes, I am qualified. Do you have a science background? Nope. It's for It's for, like, little kids, so it doesn't really matter that much. So you're just, like, helping out. Yeah, and it's just like, this is how thermometers work, right. you know? It's not, like, the most complex scientific thing. How did you get the job? Uh, Alicia works for the same company. Oh. Nepotism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's how. Is it a troubled inner-city school that you will inspire? Oh, no, no. It's all rich kids. Really? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I know. But it's a living... I mean, it's probably easier, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but still. <laughs> um, yeah, That's so. kind of cool. Have you started yet? Yeah, I worked yesterday. I'm going to work again tomorrow. What was it like? It's fine. I mean, come on, I need more than that. I need... Uh, one of the, the kids taught, told me a joke, um, which went like this. She, she went up to me. This is like a little sixth grader. Mm-hmm. So she came up to me after the lesson was done. And again, she's like six or six or seven years old, right? Yeah. And she said to me, do you want to hear a joke? And I was like, sure. And she told me the joke, which was, I haven't showered all year. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then she said, because it's 2019. And I was like, what? That's a bright kid. That's a bright kid. Yeah. That's a good joke. But... The thing I thought funny was about is like even if she hadn't showered in six days, that's still a pretty long time to go out there to shower. That is, yeah. That's a joke you need to do on like the first. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I thought it was funny. That's good. Good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's it's funnier good. than us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Well, no, I mean, no, no. You could just you could just cut out the part of me being like, oh, a child told me a joke, and then just have me say it, and then. Uh... I'll take the joke. I'll say it. Yeah, you, you'll you'll say it. you'll just edit in audio of you saying it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what to say. So, what's the name of the show? Did you say it already? No, I didn't. The name of the show is uh, Project A Plus. And who are who are we? You can do but You can be do me too. With pleasure. Uh, I am Hugh, and you are Hunter, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. So this week on uh, Project A Plus, we will be undertaking a new project, as befits our title. <laughs> a very brief project. I mean, he still has more movies for us to watch. Two more films from one of our favorite uh, modern directors. Well, I mean, why need to qualify it with modern? Well, one of our favorite all-time directors. Yeah, there you go. Um, so the films we will be exploring from the catalog of Drake Doremus are his uh, 2016 sci-fi film, Equals, and uh, 2017's... Romantic drama, newness, or as you would say, newness, which sounds stupid. Uh, yep, that's about right. So, um, would you like to begin with talking about equals, or do you want to not go 
Uh, chronologically. No, we'll go chronologically. Start with equals, work our way up. Thought I was incapable of feeling. I thought I was rational and cold. But then my veneer of logic started peeling. And I just wanted someone I could hold. Equals! Um, okay, well, uh, let me read you a little thing that I wrote to say. Webster's So here we go. Are you ready for my amazing summary? Mm hmm. Okay. Like every other Drake Doremus movie we've watched so far, Equals is a film with something on its mind, and it chooses to express this something via the conduit of technological metaphor. This time around, the thing is the emotional deadness of modern life, and the tech is a semi futuristic dystopia in which Silas, who is played by Nicholas Holt and Nia, uh, who is played by Christian Stewart, find themselves embroiled in. It seems nuclear wars ruin most of the landmass of the planet Earth, and the remaining members of the human race have compensated by forming a society of concrete and glass, of touchscreens and omnipresent video messages, and of no or at least extremely dampened emotions. The only affliction that threatens to disrupt this apathetic idol is a disease called SOS, switched on syndrome which brings to the surface all the repressed emotions that result from living in this world. Silas, after witnessing the emotional response Nia has to a tragedy, finds himself under the spell of this disease. They, despite the overwhelming forces of men in suspenders, a plethora of colored lights, a discordant synth soundtrack, and fragmentary, desire-laden close-ups, quickly fall in love. Will their amorous affliction blossom, or the tyranny of society force them apart? Who's to say? Is that adequate? No, I need another draft. <laughs> Fuck off. Uh, no, that's fine. It's fine. I wasn't really listening. I was just reading the, the synopsis on the website. You need to read it again. No, 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 that's fine. Okay, like every other Drake Tormus <laughs> movie we've watched so far, <laughs> Equals is a film with something on its mind, and it chooses to express this something via the conduit of technological metaphor. This time around, the thing is the emotional deadness of modern life, and the tech is the semi-futuristic dystopia in which Silas, who is played by Nicholas Holt, and Nia, who is played by Christian Stewart, find themselves in. It seems nuclear war has ruined most of the land mass of the planet Earth. The remaining members of the human race have compensated by forming a society of concrete and glass, of touchscreens and omnipresent video messages, and of no or extremely dampened emotions. The only affliction that threatens to disrupt this apathetic idol a disease called SOS, switched on syndrome, which brings to the surface all the repressed emotions that result from living in this world. Silas, after witnessing the emotional response Nia has to a tragedy, finds himself under the spell of this disease. They, despite the overwhelming forces of men in suspenders, a plethora of colored lights, a discordant synth soundtrack, and fragmentary desire-awaiting close-ups, quickly fall in love. Will their amorous affliction blossom, or the tyranny of society force them apart? Who's to say? Okay. Did you get it? Maybe just one more take. Okay, okay. Like every other Jake Dormus movie we've watched so far, Equals is a film with something on its mind, and it chooses to express the something via the conduit of technological metaphor. This time around, the thing is the emotional deadness of modern life, and the tech is the semi-futuristic dystopia in which Silas, who is played by Nicholas Holt, and Nia, who is played by Kristen Stewart, 
find themselves embroiled in. It seems nuclear war has ruined most of the landmass of the planet Earth. Their many members of the human race have compensated by forming a society of concrete of glass, concrete and glass, of touchscreens and omnipresent video messages, and of no or at least extremely dampened emotions. The only affliction that threatens to disrupt this apathetic idol is a disease called SOS, switched on syndrome, which brings to the surface all the repressed emotions that result from living in this world. Silas, after witnessing the emotional response Nia has to a tragedy, finds himself under the spell of this disease. They, despite the overwhelming forces of men in suspenders, a plethora of colored lights, a discordant synth soundtrack, and fragmentary desire-waiting close-ups, quickly fall in love. Will their amorous affliction blossom, or will the tyranny of society force them apart? Who's to say? Good. Um, okay. Maybe we'll try one a little bit like every less other? recitative. No, I'm, and... I'm done. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> what did you think of the movie Equals, Heal? I will say one thing for this film. Centering around a society that has uh, suppressed human emotion. I do know what it feels like to feel absolutely nothing for 101 minutes. Oh, is that supposed to be in reference to the movie? Yeah, that's my amazing capsule review. <coughs> that's pretty funny. I didn't laugh or anything, but... Alright, so let's, let's try and give the uh, listener an idea of what this film is like. Beyond your perfectly adequate summary. Perfectly adequate? Fuck you. <laughs> Uh, as you as you already alluded to in your opening, um, it's kind of the vision of the future in terms of Elisa's production design that we have seen many times before, especially in yeah. the shitty Netflix original. Wait, you mean the hit wonderful film Anon? <laughs> like Anon and the Titan, they're all kind of similar yeah. in their production design. Very spare, um, bland interior designs and open spaces with large glass panes. And uh, and this one uh, goes a step further by adopting the incredibly realistic projection of the future where we all wear the same uniform. <laughs> and also have no emotions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this premise is so, like, dumb to begin with. It is dumb. Is this the most boring movie you've ever watched? <laughs> I think it might be for me. Uh, I thought it was until... <laughs> Until we saw the next one. <laughs> I did have some moments of enjoyment, I will say. I'm, I'm at least glad this is like has a silly sci-fi premise. It takes itself so seriously and it's it's shot so blandly and it's executed so blandly that it, it's not really fun to enjoy how silly it is. It's just kind of drab and tedious. Whereas the subsequent film we'll talk about doesn't even have a sci-fi twist, unfortunately, which I thought no. it was going to have. But it didn't. Me too. <laughs> Detail. From from the log line, I was like, "Oh, great!" So there's going to be a twist halfway through where they get like this experimental procedure to make their relationship fresh again or something. But, no. Nope, they take a drug that lets them feel like they're falling in love. Yep. <laughs> for the first time. Um, but uh, let's let's get you talk about equals before we go on to that one. I think um, so much to talk about. Well, another uh, uh, thing, like speaking to the sketchiness of the premise, the the society in which they live is so like ill-defined. I mean, you see the the log line and the the basic premise. You're like, oh, they must live in like this, like you know, authoritarian society, which they kind of don't, <laughs> which is odd to me. Once Silas becomes uh, afflicted with these emotions, he's switched on, and he gets SOS. He gets diagnosed, 
And they go through these like stages. And once you get to stage four, you get forcibly uh, removed from the society and, and placed somewhere where you essentially will are encouraged to kill yourself. Right. Yeah. But it's weird to me that they don't like if it's supposed to be this authoritarian yeah, why society. Yeah. Why don't they, as soon as they're diagnosed, at least put them somewhere else, like remove them from normal society. It makes no, makes no sense. This is another question that comes up later, which is like when they, they eventually do develop a cure for the disease. Like, like one of the things that I mean, the reason the society doesn't do this because they have not developed like a chemical way to completely deaden people's emotions it seems. Right. Mm. So that's what they kind of need to, uh, exclude people and get them to commit it themselves. But again, I mean, maybe it's just like, oh, that's just what the government's telling people. But if the option is like, why don't they just kill the people mm. <laughs> later in the film after they've developed this this cure? Um, they say at one point that it's like it's not mandatory to get it. Like you can elect to get the cure. And this is society is willing to put people into like you know confinement and convince them to commit suicide. Why are they not like just giving everyone this cure that would they do everything. they do later revise that and say it's now mandatory for everyone to get yeah but why was it not mandatory yeah no, that's what i mean like it, it makes it makes the authoritarian thing like kind of limp well it just doesn't make them seem like an authoritarian regime at all yeah they don't really seem like much of a threat <laughs> did you enjoy the the twist on romeo and juliet that this film provides us yeah i did i did i thought that was very funny so uh so what happens is um the other cat so silas is played by nicholas holt right yeah, who who I will say I will say is very convincing at appearing like he is dead behind the eyes. Yes, he is actually. <laughs> and uh, both in this film and the next one, <laughs> his lover, uh, who also is experiencing emotions, is played by Kristen Stewart. What's her character yes. name? Do you remember? Uh, Nia. Nia. Yeah. And uh, they hatch a plan with assistance from other people who are experiencing emotions. We have sort of a support group um, spearheaded yeah. by spearheaded by Guy Pearce and Jackie Weaver. Did you enjoy the number of Australians that were in this film? Two Australians, yeah. There's an Australian in the next one too. So with the support of the support group, Silas and Nia uh, conspire to leave the bounds of this society to some mystical coastline where they can be free to express their emotions and and fuck each other. (laughs) Yep. Um, but, uh, Nia gets caught. I don't know. This is, this is, I thought it was funny actually. It's, it's that she's going in for, um, like, cause the way that they reproduce is because people don't have sex. They just have what's called, uh, mandatory (laughs) conception duty. Right. Um, so they just, they discover, Nia is pregnant, so she she gets imprisoned or whatever. They take her away, so that she can't meet uh, Silas at the rendezvous to escape. Right, but Jackie Weaver, who is what they call a hider, someone who can feel emotions but hides them in plain sight, so that she can function as a normal member of society without being incarcerated, manages to get her out and uh, replaces her, like, identity with that of a dead person so that then she's able to go through the scanners and stuff. But Nicholas Holt, like Romeo himself, is unaware of this scheme. And when he makes some inquiries and finds out that his beloved is dead, he concedes to uh, get the cure to emotions. Yeah. Which implants this thing in your neck and then it takes, like, six hours before it sinks in fully 
So he returns to his apartment, only to find that Nia is alive after all. But then she sees the thing on his neck and he's going to be a dead shell. Yep. So that's the Romeo and Juliet stuff. And then because Drake Doremus is Drake Doremus and he likes a happy ending despite the constraints that he's placed upon physics. Or chemistry. Yeah. There's no there's no obstacle in the way of a Drake Doremus happy ending. Just just as Zoe is able to spontaneously grow eye ducks, tear ducks in uh, Zoe, so too is Nicholas Holt able to overcome his... His emotional castration. Yeah, there you go. That's the good way to put it. And hold Nia's hand. And that's the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is there any part of the song that you enjoyed at all? I had a, there were a couple moments where I was like, this is kind of funny. But uh, on the whole, it was pretty, pretty insufferable. I found the Romeo and Juliet thing funny and the end funny. So did I. Yeah, this this film was like taking a Xanax almost. It yeah, it was. Like yeah, it really it just, was. It's like nothing. <laughs> Like you just feel so bland. It is like feeling nothing for the entire duration of the film. Which is kind of like the, the opposite of what he wanted, I assume. So in a way, this film is the society that he faced. Yeah. It's like it was made by that society. <laughs> yeah. We should um, we should make it, we should remake this movie but uh have them watch this movie in the middle of it. <laughs> it rem- so it was basically just like THX one one three eight and the island, and that sort of garbage. Um, and uh, we touched on the production design, which is really sterile and white. Yeah. Um, and then it's exacerbated by Drake Doremus's single camera trick, which is to have everything in shallow focus, so you can't even see the background. Especially, like, body parts. <laughs> that seems to be his one directorial signature. Is there anything you enjoyed about this film at all? No. Just, like, straightly? No, the, the the unfortunate thing is like it it takes itself so seriously that it's yeah it's it's not very fun to watch, and it's not it not it's not incompetent either. Like it it does it it doesn't it's not like it's a spectacular uh, flop of a weird am- ambitious idea that is just like insane like mute or something like that. Oh no, which makes this almost worse than like mute. Yeah, it, it just makes it really uninteresting on any level. Yeah. Um. Did you, I, when I was watching this, like, it was kind of like, uh, I don't know, I, I got, I had a good revelation that this feel at all to be like a, uh, a statement against like antidepressants in a way. Yeah. I, I actually wondered that as well. Like I had the same thought. It was kind of offensive. I was like, is this like Christian science propaganda or Scientology yeah. propaganda? Because <laughs> it's like, you know, some people need those not to, yeah. to live. Like, I don't know. And the cliche of like you know feeling not feeling nothing and numb when you're on antidepressants and stuff. Yeah, which is, I don't know, based on my own uh, experience with depression, where I often feel nothing, felt nothing when I was depressed, mm. not when I was on antidepressants. So, um, good stuff is what I'm saying. I'm saying this film is very tactful in its depiction of <laughs> of mental illness as something that you could just get over. <sighs> Yeah, so that was a bad movie. Yeah, like definitely so far, I probably would recommend some people watch Zoe if they if they have the right sensibility. But I would not recommend anyone watch Equals. Zoe is like uh, Equals, but uh, it's so like schmaltzy that it becomes hilarious. And also, like 
morally questionable in a way that uh, equals isn't unless it is propaganda <laughs> against <laughs> pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So assuming, so just yeah, if we in good faith, if we assume that equals isn't propaganda, then it's not necessarily morally objectionable. So terrible, 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 terrible. <laughs> All right, so Newness uh, from 2017 is a romantic drama, uh, and unfortunately, as as I said earlier, it does not have any sci-fi elements. It does it does involve technology, but we will get to that. It does. Um, so this is a a simpler story, centered largely around uh, a couple. We open on them uh, in their respective single lives before they meet, which is uh, Martin, played by Nicholas Holt, and he's a pharmacist, and uh, Gabby, or Gabriella, played by Leia Costa, and she's a uh, physical therapy assistant, apparently. Yes. So it seems. And uh, they're both leading unfulfilling lives uh, on a dating app modeled after Tinder in which they're hooking up with people and having uh, unfulfilling sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they change their settings to down to fuck, right? <laughs> yep. I don't know what they were doing before, but it seemed like that's what they were doing before anyway. But they changed yeah, so it and they weren't happy. A little, little confusing. So I, I don't know. It didn't really make sense. But they both changed their settings to the down to fuck. They uh, meet one another, Nicholas Holt. You're like ready to bang. Well, they walk past each other before. And by a mystical coincidence, they, uh, it's almost like the stars of the movie you were watching. Um, so they catch up and have drinks. Uh, they hit it off. It's not just a conventional hookup because they just sort of hang out, hang, hang out with each other at uh, a bar and a restaurant for a while. And um, <clears throat> then, uh, you know, uh, then they, their relationship flourishes. Uh, they move in together. Everything's going well, but then they have an argument and they sort of push one another away a little bit and they both wind up cheating on one another on the same night. (laughs) (laughs) They do do that, yes. And they both, uh, when they meet up again and and it all comes out, they both confess to it. And then they see a therapist and sort of based on the therapist's guidance, they decide to have a completely honest relationship where they tell each other everything. Yeah. And uh, this this develops the point where uh, at least uh, certainly Leia Costa's character, Gabby, um, begins having relationships with other men with the knowledge of Holt. And they sort of both kind of do it and they both... They basically just have an open relationship. And it's like an open relationship, but... The film really depicts only Gabby doing anything, really. But they have a threesome at one point. But yeah, it's 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 some sort of open relationship, but the film spends most of its narrative energy on uh, Gabby's dalliances outside of the, the relationship. Um, whereas Nicholas Holt's main issue is with his ex-wife, who he had a miscarriage with. 
Uh, <laughs> is that what you do? You have, have a mis- miscarriage that. together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so his wife had a miscarriage when they were together, and uh, then he discovers that uh, she's had a kid, and that kind of brings yep. up the old feelings about everything. And uh, they sort of drift apart when they both uh, start keeping secrets from one another. Uh huh. So they break the bonds of honesty that had. Uh, Oh man! Saved their relationship initially, and it begins to destroy them. And then, uh, uh, what's her name? Leia Costa. Gabby gets uh, most involved with uh, John Houston's son, Danny. Danny Houston, <laughs> or as you say, yeah, John Houston's son, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> then she realizes that uh, he's a bit of a dick. And then uh, Nicholas Holt sort of talks to his ex-wife and realizes that she's moved on and she's happy. Nothing's going to happen there. So then they, like, get back together and they're all happy again. <laughs> Which is, of course, I just explained the whole movie. I probably didn't need to go that far, but I did. Did you like it? <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's my favorite film. <laughs> this is difficult to watch, I must say. This is really but difficult. I, I agree. <laughs> I feel like of the movies we've watched, only Deadpool two has tried my patience more. Yeah, this was this is <laughs> this is torturous. It's kind of just the. I, I feel like he can condense this movie to a short film really easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like ten minutes. But I, I had some. I had slightly more enjoy, enjoyment watching this than I did Equals. I will say. Really. Yeah, just the, there are some parts that I thought were funny. There was one bit, one bit I wrote down that was that actually made me laugh. Yeah, which was what. So this is during their like, uh, disin- the disintegration of their relationship. Uh huh. Um, as he's having issues with his ex-wife, and uh, she's having her dalliance with uh, John Houston's son. <laughs> John Houston's son, Danny. Because one thing that helps uh, Nicholas Holt deal with the fact that she's sleeping with these other men is that they never make her orgasm right. Right. And then for the first time, he finds out that uh, Danny was successful. And he's like, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. And then decides to have, like, sex with her then and there in the kitchen. And uh, it intercuts the sex with him remembering his ex-wife's <laughs> pregnancy and the way it was edited together. Was, I found that really hilarious. So did I have it he couldn't, right he couldn't finish. Because <laughs> the miscarriage... <laughs> But more specifically, uh, he it's there's a really creepy scene where he gets a hard drive of undeleted files, which are just home like movies of his wife. Yeah. So it's it's intercutting this like really angry like doggy style sex um, with Gabby, uh, and I'm just picturing watching these these home movies, which is really funny. It's great stuff. It's really. Uh, Expressive camera work. <laughs> so it's shot in exactly the same way. Yeah. With like constant shallow focus, artful, competent, dreamer style. <laughs> You're shot in the house, dreamer style. Um, and the happy ending is most glaring here, I think. Yeah. Because this is like trying to like ex- like be an honest exploration of you know modern relationships and honesty and you know what people expect from each other and whatever. And it shows the the strains that people put on each other and how it's impossible to be truly honest and whatever. whatever yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but then, in fact, it just wraps up with a happy ending, kind of just 
undercuts everything the the previous however many years the the rest of the movie took to, to watch seemed to be like getting at um but anyway let's get to the cast of this film so nicholas holt returns again for his he second reprise his role adaptation <laughs> yeah essentially replies reprise his role as this guy who can't express emotion <laughs> yeah. and he's equally great at doing that he looks like a mannequin He's bad in this. The only thing I'll say about his performance is, like, he convincingly comes across as, as an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although he's supposed to not just be an arsehole. He's supposed to just be an arsehole in certain scenes, but he comes across like an arsehole the whole way through. Yeah, he does. That's true. But um, I will give him credit for doing a uh, pretty competent American accent, too. That only falls apart in some sequences. Um, Leia Costa is the much stronger of the two performances, I would say. I think she's, she does a pretty decent job with the material. I thought she was... Just, I don't know. I didn't think, I didn't feel like it was competent, but I mean, I wasn't like distracted by how terrible it was. So I don't know. I thought, yeah, I thought, I thought it was better than his performance. I didn't, I, I didn't like either of them. So <laughs> mostly because her character just felt like, uh, Drake Dormus is like, you know, like fantasy to me a little bit. <laughs> I'll tell you another part that, that I laughed at. I like burst out laughing mm. during Eunice. Um, which is the scene where uh, after there's a there's a sequence where um, the couple visits uh, Nicholas Holt's parents um, and is revealed that his mother has dementia, which is not like brought up really at all for, through the rest of the film. Uh, that was kind of funny. It was just um, used as a plot point to yeah, fracture the relationship. Um, but it's also revealed that he has a sister who died in a car accident when she was sixteen. Um, and then later in the movie, when they decide to be completely honest with each other, uh, Nicholas Holtz reveals that uh, he would spy on his sister in the shower <laughs> when he was nine years old, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, that was that was odd, wasn't it? <laughs> it's just like, why is this in this movie? Like, I just didn't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> it didn't add or subtract anything. It was just, it was just funny. And also, this movie is like, it's it's. Have you seen Crash, the Cronenberg film? Yeah, it's basically the same film. But it ends where Crash begins, basically. There's a great scene in Crash where they're describing um, the the affairs that they had with each other. Um, so I can only imagine that after this movie is finished, uh, they start having sex in car accidents. Or I can hope anyway. Drake Dormus, please remake Crash. If you're listening, I know, uh, I'm sure that you've turned this podcast off by now because you've shat all over all, all the films you've made. Um, but... If you're listening, please remake Crash. It's, he, he strikes me as someone who's a little conservative, too. Yeah. Especially in this film. Uh, especially in newness, I mean. Well, because the, the moral is that open relationships don't work. And yeah, and they used to just have monogamous, heterosexual relationships. Drugs don't work. <laughs> Unless they let you feel... Yeah, I mean, but that's, that's, that's two movies where drugs are used for evil, right? Hmm. In both Zoe and this, in uh, in equals, I mean. So is that it? Are we all done? Danny Houston looks gross. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did. I never uh, understood the attraction between uh, him and Maya Costa. Well, I never understood the attraction between her and uh, Nicholas Holt because he yeah, just seems did. like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one thing I'm really sick of seeing. And is, this is Drake may... Dormus films. Yeah. <laughs> this no, this 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 may be uh, uh, tipping my hand a little bit, but or, or or really looking at a film too personally. But I do resent watching these like 
pretty people flirt with each other. Because <laughs> you're an uggo. It's not so much like because uh, I'm so lonely that I, I, I resent other people's happiness. <laughs> like my happiness. It's more so in the way it's done. Like, so to, to me, the way they do it, it's not just straight dreamers. It's actually a common way that this type of relationship is depicted in films, like the flirting stage when they first meet and then sure. getting on with each other. It's it to me. It's the way it's executed in a lot of films nowadays is like similar to the experience of watching a couple kiss on a train. Right. It's always like slightly icky and not enjoyable. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a relationship yourself or not, or you care about. Yeah. It, it feels like it's something that it feels like it should be private, but it's yeah. The, the thing that they're going for is some sort of authenticity, something that matches what happens in real life, which is why yeah. a lot of it's improvised and it has that flavor to it. But I think the problem with that approach is that like, if you literally reenacted someone's actual conversation with someone they're meeting and getting along with, yeah, it's not interesting yeah, well, it's not. <laughs> to an external party, but to show it's not just about uh, my personal situation. My counter example is like classic Hollywood screwball comedies. And even not just screwball comedies, but the way the the really sharply written dialogue was done in those days made you kind of fall in love with both of the people. Yeah. And that's what I really miss in depictions of, of romance on screen. Yeah, me too. Uh, it seems to be skewed too far in the direction of realism, and I, I'd find it really off-putting. But on the flip yeah, side, when they when they have um, when they have uh, conflict. I actually kind of enjoy watching that. So my favorite part of all three uh, of the Sunrise trilogy, which is before Midnight, which is the latest one, mm-hmm. has like a really uh, intense fight between uh, Ethan Hawke and, and Julie Delpy. And uh, it really rings true. Like it, it comes across really authentically. And I, f- I found that the most enjoyable part of all three films. So I didn't enjoy the lovey-dovey infatuation scenes. I just like... So I think I think the the scenes of conflict kind of work well with uh, a modern approach, but the scenes of um, the sort of meet cute sequences. Your favorite, uh, but that's what you want, though. I want them done in the old style. I, I realized that well, actually the one thing I wanted to say about Drake doing this that I didn't <laughs> uh-huh. is how fucking humorless he is. <laughs> yeah. In all the films, like the there are there are jokes between the act the characters, like if they're joking with one another. Yeah. But there's no... A little bit. But there's no actual textual checks. No. So it always seems to have this air of humorlessness, which yeah. annoys me. Anyway. Me too. <sighs> so, um, we're going to do bonus features now. Bonus features, bonus... Um, so let's have a look. So I watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which we covered a little bit on our special. Yes, which I also watched. And you can and talk more about that. Yeah. For the first time. Uh, which is a very enjoyable film. I don't think I had any particular problem with it. I think it was very solidly executed. Uh, I thought some of the villains were a little whatever, but besides that, I thought it was pretty good. I didn't really care. So it was fine. No, I thought I actually thought it. I thought it did sort of um, 
make the the central relationship between the uncle and Miles to be a little weakened because they had so many other villains personally. But um, I was actually that that reminded me of the one thing I sort of queried about it, which I found weird was was the um, I don't know if they I missed it, but did they really explain how he ended up being his uncle? This is a spoiler, but how his uncle ended up being the Prowler? Uh, he just is. What do you mean by that? Like, I thought to, to be a little bit more sympathetic to how it happened, like to have some sort of flashback to show how he, you know, was manipulated by yeah, I Kingpin agree. or whatever. Into, but the, into I think that's I think that's a larger problem, which I think they could have drawn that relationship a little stronger and it would have made his death uh, more impactful. And I I don't I don't know if I even needed that twist i didn't i didn't like that twist particularly well but that's coming out of the that's coming out of the comics though is it actually yeah is it actually a thing okay yeah i guess that's the thing because the the thing i found uh interesting i guess i guess this is not really the sort of film to explain uh people of color's uh complex relationship with the police force no <laughs> but not. there is that interesting dynamic of, of of miles morales being the son of a policeman and uh his father's brother uncle ben having a, a conflicted relationship with the police. But then when they reveal him to be a bad guy anyway, that kind of undermines that perspective. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, they should have, they should have, well, they should have um, explicated more about why he's doing crimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a way to do it where it makes him sympathetic. But as it stands, it's just like if, if miles, miles isn't Spider-Man, he would have gone on, you know, killing Spider-Man. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. But otherwise, it was so enjoyable, I didn't really care that much about any of those problems. Yeah, there are only things that I really was like, oh, that's kind of bothersome after the fact. Mm. Um, did you watch anything else? I watched uh, The Thin Red Line. Oh, that's a great film. For the first time. What did you think? Um, I'm on, I, like, I do sympathize and enjoy Malik. Uh, I don't think it's a wholly satisfying film. Well, you can go die. <laughs> For me. Well, uh, I, I, I direct you to my last <laughs> statement. But I do really like parts of it. Um, and I do respect, like, I do respect Malik's approach of the, I mean, like, although there's a lot of sort of pretentious intellectual yeah. garbage that he stuffs into his films, especially Tree of Life onwards. Um, with the the voiceover and and the other nonsense in Tree of Life, the actual business of putting together the film from shot selection and the, the way he the sequences play out seems like it's done very emotionally. Yeah, prioritized above everything else, like way above narrative or anything. Like it's just like he's selecting a shot that has some emotional resonance to him and consequently usually does to the audience when we're watching it which i really kind of respect and i think is an interesting approach that's what separates him from his what is like legion of imitators i think yeah and i think that's what justifies or at least uh, excuses the pretentiousness that sometimes accompanies it i think um and a lot of that stuff often does work and there are wonderful moments um and uh, it's actually really interesting to watch some of the extras where they talk about the editing process and that, like, he's never actually sat through the entire film uh, start to finish ever in his life. That's interesting. 
and it's it's kind of and he and he like employs like huge teams of editors like there was like five editors because he shoots so much footage he gets and he sometimes gets like people who aren't editors to do cuts of the film and stuff like that that's interesting which can sometimes uh rub the professional editors that he's also employed up the wrong way and stuff like hey here's a cut made by this guy in the street <laughs> hey here's a cut made by his coke dealer <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so that's all really interesting but um the, the editors were talking about the fact that it didn't really seem like he wanted to make a war film or an action film in any sense. And he sort of became I think that sort of is reflected in the, in the film itself. Other sequences, <laughs> yeah. But the like the main the core sequence of like capturing the top of the hill. Yeah, you know, is really it's, well it's really um, tense. It's it's much it's 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 a very effective war sequence. I also uh, rewatched the apartment. I haven't heard of that one. While while Nazis invaded the shores of my hometown. <laughs> so, uh, you're pro-Nazi, or at least you're not anti-Nazi is what you're saying. You're neutral to Nazis. There's good people on both sides, you know. So the apartment was good. Uh, just to clarify, we were joking, Nazis are bad, and I wasn't aware they were <laughs> on the beach near my house. Otherwise, you would have you would have not watched the apartment. You would have done that. No, otherwise, I would have been part of the opposition. Um, uh, the only other thing I watched was Game Night. Oh, I saw. I actually saw part of that too. Never been interested in seeing it, despite how many raves it was getting. Like, oh, it's surprisingly good. Why did you watch it then? <laughs> and then I was really bored. And I... <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a number of those you can watch. Uh... And sometimes I I plan my dinner around, like if I have access to the kitchen with no one else there. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was going to be people there, so I quickly made popcorn. That was going to be my entire dinner, and because it was popcorn. I had to watch a movie instead of doing something else. So I decided, I was like, uh, and I was in Netflix and I couldn't be bothered actually finding a good DVD that I probably had. So I just watched Game Night. And I would say it's supremely overrated. It's not very good. Uh, the, the like 20 minutes or so I've watched, I thought that was they were kind of funny. But my girlfriend really hated that film, so I'll probably never watch it. Good, I agree with her. There were parts of it that were okay, I would say, but it... It just falls apart and is not is, is not good. Way overrated. I didn't find it funny or anything. It seemed amusing enough. The, the, actually, the funniest bit was a sequence in which uh, Jason Bateman accidentally gets shot in the arm. Um, oh, yeah, that, that was kind of funny. And then, um, what's her name? Who else is in it? Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. You fucking watched this movie, and I didn't. Yeah. And I still She's know more taking, about it than you do. She's, like, researching how to take the bullet out of his arm. And then they realize that it actually exited the bottom of his arm after she's already cut him open. Oh, yeah, that was funny. That was the best bit of the film. Yeah. And it, but it was weird how, like, um, sort of nonplussed he seemed by it, the whole thing. Yeah. Like, apparently, which is uh, apparently one of the most painful things that could happen to you is uh, something hitting your bone. So, a great film. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. I thought it was, it's kind of like... I wonder why people liked it so much. Just about watchable. Which is more than you can say about most comedies, so... But it tries to be sort of too clever for its own good, and it doesn't really work by the end. What did you watch? I watched Brian De Palma's very first film, Greetings. Um, because I got a the Blu-ray set of his that Arrow Video point out, put out um, that restores his first three features. Um, none of which I'd ever seen, but I'd always sort of wanted to because they sounded really fascinating. 
and I bought that, um, and then I got really busy, so I couldn't watch them, and I decided to start watching them. So I watched the first one, which is Greetings, uh, which is a very sort of enjoyable um, satire of uh, 60s culture and um, has some very amusing sequences. Um, and it's, it's fairly funny, I don't know. Um, but it is interesting to see all the sort of stuff that would become De Palma trademarks uh, here in embryo form, uh, especially like voyeurism, which uh, is pretty humorously rendered. And there's a great sequence where um, a man is having sexual intercourse with a woman, and he uh, basically tries to draw the specific uh, bullet pattern on, that happened to uh, JFK. Uh, on her and his bodies, which is <laughs> very out there and funny. Um, but it's a pretty easy film, definitely worth a watch. There's some stuff that seems a bit uh, bad uh, in the light of 2018, but that's all movies, so there you go. Uh, I watched The Princess Bride, uh, which I'd never seen before. Oh, you'd never seen it? Yeah, because I got it on Blu-ray for my girlfriend for Christmas. Mm. Um, and that's pretty enjoyable. Uh, do you like The Princess Bride? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Uh, I saw uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, and this is the sort of segment of the podcast where I'm like, oh, I should have watched these movies for my best of 2018, because all mm. three of the movies I'm going to list right now would have made my list, I think. Um, so If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, Barry Jenkins' new film, which is just great, it's moving, it's funny, it's tragic, It's uh, but it has a slight drop of hope. It's just amazing. I think it's great. So you should watch it. I, I still want. I still need to watch Moonlight. Moonlight's also great. <laughs> Though I think this is better. It really? Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So I watched Spider Verse. Good film. Uh, we talked about it. I watched Quinny Swood's The Mule, which I also thought was amazing. <laughs> Did you thought it was legitimately good? Yeah, I thought it was legitimately good. Uh, it's just this very sort of um, compassionate, if and regret-filled film uh, about That's a speciality. Yeah. And it definitely comes full force here. And it has an extra resonance, I think, considering it's ba- it basically reads as an autobiography you know, to a degree. And it, 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 unlike the trailers, which made it seem sort of like, um, uh, you know, right wing ish, um, yeah, yeah. it actually has a pretty uh, nuanced <laughs> uh, take on race, I think. And it has several sequences where people of color are sort of um, stopped by police that are really terrifying. Intentionally so, um, and it's it's a really good film. He's always seemed more progressive in his output than he is in his yeah, and that's definitely personal life. And that's definitely true in in the Mule, um, which I really liked a lot. Uh, it's sad. It's also very funny. And uh, Clint Eastwood has two threesomes in it. Two what? <laughs> two threesomes. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> both of which are really funny bringing us back to newness <laughs> pretty much but but it's two-ness because he has two threesomes mm. um god the sex <laughs> also back to dreams this the way he depicts sex yeah anyway anyway you don't want to have sex yeah uh makes like, you want to like eradicate all emotion <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean i will say that they're mostly alighted like you don't actually see Cody's <laughs> still like because that would be horrifying, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. But um, they're funny. It's it's a good film. 
You don't see his, like, 80-year-old ass <laughs> pumping away. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Uh, but it definitely feels like it's going to be his last film, which just has that air of uh, summation about it. So, if you like Clint Eastwood at all. But I will say, you have to have some affection for Clint Eastwood, if maybe not as a person, as a film presence to enjoy it, I think. Which I do, so I'd watch that. Uh, and he, it, it's amazing that he cast his daughter... <laughs> In, in a estranged daughter role, which seems not like as one of the people in the threesome. No, that would be great too. But um, it seems like she's basically just playing herself, which makes it also like sadder. It's a, it's a weird film, but it's definitely it's definitely I I really liked it a lot. Okay, interesting. Um, it's really funny too. So the mule, you should watch it. I think you would like it. Um, now you watched two other films. That <laughs> <intriguing to> me. <laughs> oh, do you want to tell me what they are? I don't, I'm not, I'm not so sure I'm familiar with them. Uh, there's like a 2015 film. Looks like you watched on the seventh of this month. Does that sound right? Oh yeah, that's called um, Equals. Equals. Yeah. Out of that, what's that one? Uh, well, Equals. Uh, like every other Drake Dreamers film we've watched so far, Equals is a film about something on its mind. It chooses to express this something via the conduit of co- technological metaphor. This time around, the thing is emotional deadness of modern life, and the tech is a semi-futuristic dystopia in which Silas and Nia find themselves in. It seems nuclear war has ruined most of the landmass of planet Earth, and the remaining members of the human race have compensated by forming a society of concrete of glass, of touchscreens and omnipresent video messages, and of no or extremely dampened emotions. The only affliction which threatens to disrupt this apathetic idol is a disease called SOS, switched on syndrome, which brings to the surface all the repressed emotions that result from uh, living in this world. Silas, after witnessing the emotional response that he has to tragedy, finds itself under the spell of this disease. They despite the overwhelming forces of men and suspenders, a plethora of colored lights, a discord and synth soundtrack, and a fragmentary desire-weighted close-ups quickly fall in love with their amorous affliction, blossom or will the tyranny of society force them apart? Who's to say? Um... So I will say one thing that I did like about Equals is like kind of like the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack wasn't terrible. It was sort of like an abstract yeah. synth. I mean, it was like mostly like whatever, but there there was one scene where they start like doing it for the first time that I actually like actively enjoyed it. Also, uh, about nudist, there's a funny fact that I learned, which is the guy that Gabby cheats on Nicholas Holt. Wait, wait, so just to be clear before you go... Go any further. So Nunes is that film in which uh, Martin, played by Nicholas Holt, uh, a pharmacist, and uh, Gabby, Gabriella, played by uh, Leia Costa. You should read the entire Wikipedia entry. Therapy assistant. Just a suggestion. <laughs> Live in Los Angeles with a most frequently used online dating app to hook up with people. After a night of bad dates, uh, the two return to the app where they match with each other and agree to meet at a bar. Uh, they spend the rest of the night talking. And Martin mentions he used to be married. Is this ringing a bell? Oh, no. Oh, sorry. Could you go on a little bit more? I'm not sure. I'll go on a little bit, yeah. Uh, They then go back to Martin's apartment and have sex. Soon after, the two begin a relationship and Gabriella moves in with Martin. On a visit to Martin's parent, his father... Sorry. I'll say that again. On a visit to Martin's parents, his father reveals to Gabriella, Gabby, as we know her, that his mother has dementia. She also sees various photos around the house of Martin's ex-wife, Bethany and of an unknown girl. At home, Gabriella, Gabby, as we know her, gets upset that Martin never mentions uh, his mother's, never previously mentioned his mother's condition or the girl in his childhood photos. He accuses her of being nosy and angrily reveals he had a sister that died when she was 16. Not Gabby, not when Gabby was 16, but when the sister was 16, just to be clear. They have a heated argument. Uh, Thanks for clearing that up. 
Oh, is this ringing a bell now? No, no, keep going. Keep on going. They have a heated Wait, argument just, where... I'm just going to take my headphones off real quick. Just keep going. Okay, cool. They have a heated argument where uh, Gabby storms out. Well written sentence on Wikipedia. Good. The next day, an acquaintance invites Gabby to a dinner party where Martin goes clubbing while Martin goes clubbing with his co-workers. They both end up cheating but confess their infidelity the next morning and decide to seek therapy. Through therapy, they decide to begin an open relationship. Gabby's friend, Blake, played by Australia's own... Courtney Eaton invites them both to a party where they spend the night flirting with other guests while uh, they keep an eye on one another from a distance. Martin bonds with Blake while Gabby goes close to Blake's boss, played by uh, John Houston's son, Danny Houston. Uh, who Wait, sorry, I'm going to answer the door real quick. Keep on talking. I'll keep going. Who in this film plays an older married man? No, not an older married man, just an older man. Name's <laughs> Larry. He's got a daughter. Uh, the couple continue their string of hookups with other people until Gabby suggests a threesome, to which Martin asks for Blake, but Gabby disapproves because they're friends. Uh, Gabby soon starts spending more time with Larry and his daughter. Meanwhile, Martin discovers uh, Bethany recently had a child. Bethany, you remember, is his ex-wife. And uh, the reason this is so unsettling, which maybe Wikipedia explains later, is that uh, he had a miscarriage, uh, or she had a miscarriage when they were together, when they were trying to have kids. And uh, now she's had a kid. It's got to brought back old feelings. Unsettled, he watches old home videos, which he secretly kept. And uh, again, this is not explained by Wikipedia, but he um, basically uh, breaks into his parents' house late one night while they're sleeping and uh, steals an old hard drive to get access to these old home videos. Uh, Larry gives uh, Gabby a necklace, which she hides from Martin, and they have sex for the first time. The next morning, Gabby admits that uh, she actually came during sex with Larry, which angers Martin because the one thing Martin was holding on to about the fact that uh, Gabby was sleeping with other men is that no one could make her climax except for him. So now that uh, this, this old Houston dude manages to uh, do the deed, uh, he's angry. So that, that's the scene that we talked about in which they have angry sex. And uh, he has flashbacks of his ex-wife's pregnancy, which prevents him from being able to do much. Sorry, my phone's ringing. Let me answer it. Hello. Ooh, boy. So, it has been considered as an intentional fraud and a lawsuit has been filed under your name. In order to get more information, you can call our department number on 280-037-467. I repeat, it's 280-037-467. Thank you. Uh, okay, so just for the benefit of our listeners who may not have uh, caught that, I uh, just received a phone call from someone reporting to be uh, from the Australian Taxation Office, uh, which is uh, something I know a little bit about. And uh, they it was just an automated message in an American accent saying that there's been a lawsuit filed under my name for tax fraud. Um, this is a scam 
because uh, the ATO would not be permitted to divulge that sort of information without identifying me over the phone, uh, nor would they have automated messages like that in American accent. So I've been getting persistent calls from this uh, particular shady operation trying to scam me out of my dwindling savings. Anyway, where were we? Uh, later, uh, he finds the necklace and goes to a bar alone where he runs into Blake. After a night of drinking, he reveals Bethany miscarried when they were together. And then he has unresolved feelings for her. The conversation makes Blake uncomfortable and she leaves, which was kind of funny. I like that bit. Uh, Martin returns home immediately to talk to Gabriella, Gabby, as we know her, but she dismisses him, later finding out from her friend about Martin. Okay, sorry about that. It's all right. One day, Martin returns home. Wait, you waiting for me? No, no, no. I got a phone call uh, from the tax office. That's funny. But it was fake. It was one of those scam calls. Oh. uh, Where it just says a message like saying, there's a lawsuit that has been filed under your name. Oh, right. For tax fraud. And I, I play, put it on speakerphone for part of it, so it'll, it'll be on the podcast. <laughs> this is going to be our best episode. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, is this ringing your bell? Is this the film that you watched? Uh, I don't think so. Could you just keep on... Well, I'll keep going. Let's I'll just, keep going. Just, just keep going. I'll keep going a bit, and then you'll uh, you'll see. Uh, so where were you? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Martin returns him immediately to talk to Gabby, but she dismisses him, later finding out from her friend about Martin and Blake's encounter. One day, Martin returns home to find Gabby crying while watching old videos and reading an email that Martin wrote to Bethany where he states he constantly thinks about her. They start arguing and Martin brings up the necklace. Gabby leaves the apartment and moves in with Larry, who you'll remember was played by Danny Houston, John Houston's son. Yeah, Larry reveals that in two weeks he will be leaving on a two-year business trip around Europe where he invites uh, Gabby to join him. Martin and Bethany meet up after he sent her the email where she states it's neither of their faults and their marriage didn't work out because they were both young and naive. She then says she's happy even though her life has become boring and predictable. They part ways amicably, but obviously nothing's going to happen between them. One night Larry throws a party where Blake is in attendance, uh, which Gabby demands, and Gabby demands that uh, he kicks her out because she's not happy with Blake for the stuff she said about whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He refuses, and they have a little tussle, and he calls her immature. She then leaves uh, to a club where she seduces two men before breaking down, like a car. (laughs) She returns the next day and tries to talk Larry. She tries to talk to Larry, but uh, he doesn't care and belittles her behavior, which causes her to leave him. She refers to he refers to the whole setup as like a transaction in exchange for jewelry. She will sit next to him on a boat and stuff like that and, and help look after his daughter. When <laughs> Sounds like a fair, pretty fair relationship. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, uh, she visits Martin, who admits he was never really comfortable with an open relationship. The two reconcile and, and realize that monogamy, monogamy is the greatest thing ever. And uh, <laughs> yeah, they live happily ever after. <laughs> no, that didn't really uh, ring a bell, but it did remind me of another movie I've watched. Uh, Which one? Maybe you've heard of it? I can only describe it, though. That's okay. Yeah, no, go for it. Okay. Okay. Let's just see if you remember it. I'll, I'll read you a couple. Couple. Uh, I'll, I'll stop you if anything rings a bell. Okay. But okay. Just. just uh, in a futuristic dystopian utopia, citizens known as members live under the collective, 
the legislative body who monitor people's actions. Citizens are mentally stabilized in all emotions and most illnesses are eradicated with emotion and sexual activity contrary to society's rules. The conception is through artificial insemination via con conception summons. Silas, a citizen and an illustrator for Atmos. Wait, sorry. Silas, a citizen, works as an illustrator for Atmos. Returning home one night, he sees two citizens detained by officials. It's reminded of the purported epidemic of Swiss-Jean syndrome, or SOS. Wait, wait, wait. Can I just stop you there quickly? Yeah. This sounds like nothing I've ever seen. Okay. <laughs> Multi-stage disease, quote-unquote, that restores human... Uh, I'm sorry, that restores human emotions. Sufferers who do not commit suicide progress to stage four and are detained in the dreaded defective emotional neuropathy facility, the DEN, or DEN, the collective's institution, which no one ever leaves. The next day at work, a suicidal employee jumps to his death and the emotionless workers coldly analyze the moment. Silas is the only group member to notice fellow worker Nia having an emotional reaction. Later in a team meeting, he again sees Nia... Ex uh, <laughs> okay, this is <laughs> Grayson is Wikipedia. I'm just going to read this as it is written. Uh, later, in a team me meeting, he sees a, he again sees Nia expression betray emotion. <laughs> just again, <laughs> Nia expression betray emotion. <laughs> during the course of the next day, Silas becomes distracted during a conference at Atmos, falls asleep more often, and experiences a nightmare for the first time. He goes for a checkup and is befriended by an official named Jonas with stage 2 SOS. Silas is diagnosed with stage 1 SMS, is given a prescription. Nevertheless, Silas progressively worsens, as his drawings become emotional and his interest in Nia grows. One day, he follows Nia to a bathroom and, her, uh, and comforts her. Wait, no, what? you forgot the bit where, when he first gets the condition. I'm just speculating because I don't know what film you're talking about. He breaks into song and starts singing, I got stage one SOS. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, let me finish, okay? But it, you, you, don't, you don't even know what movie I'm talking about, so... No, I've aren't, no you, aren't you um, enraptured by the what's going to happen? That's that's what, you know, spurned the song to come out of me. Okay. It spurned the song from coming out of you. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, one day he follows Nia into the bathroom and, and comforts Whoa. her. Whoa! comforts her. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, that was another weird part of this movie, is that they don't they didn't seem to... Um, Separate. That was a bathroom. It was like an empty room. There's nothing in the room. What's well, it? No, it's a bathroom. Because there, well, there's that no later plumbing. scene. What? There was like there was like sinks. Uh, there was like sinks when they left the there's, bathroom. There's stalls there. though. But it, what was that stall that they were like fooling about know. in? I don't know. The movie is bad. It was like, okay. it was like an empty <laughs> room. <laughs> well, go and finish this. <laughs> One day he follows Nia into the bathroom and comforts her. She reveals that she has had SOS for over a year, hiding it to avoid discovery and ostracization. He kisses her, but hears Leonard, the company manager, in the bathroom and converses with him. Leonard spots Nia's workstation powered on and reveals that he's been monitoring Silas. Silas decides to get a job separate from Nia in the gardening, in a gardening section. Leonard now, did you notice that she actually turned her workstation off and he left his on before that scene? That's what. That's the way I... I don't know. I, I, I was checked out. <laughs> Uh, Leonard introduces Silas' replacement, Dominic, to Nia the next day. Nia, during a conversation with Dominic, suffers a slight anxiety attack during lunch break. At night, while picking up their prescriptions, there's no comma here, but there should be, Jardis invites Silas for a walk, and then discloses that he is part of a secret support group and offers help. There shouldn't be a comma after the walk in that sentence, but there is. So, there's just a bad use of commas by the person who wrote this. He decides to go, where he meets fellow members, Bess, Peter, Thomas, Gill, Max, and Alice. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, uh, Alice and warns that uh, the DDN's patients half of the time, mostly through encouragement, commit suicide. Neanthan shows up at his apartment and they have sex, agreeing to spend more time there. Thereafter, the Ashby ENI cure for SOS is announced and successfully created. Scared, the two decide to go to the peninsula, a secluded primitive section of land, to the belittled support of the group, who warn them they can never return if successful. Jonas gives Silas instructions uh, to ask for Oliver, a pilot, to fly him to the peninsula. Silas and Nia make plans to go to Wellington. What? The Wellington. closest location <laughs> towards the border. What? I do not remember what the word Wellington appeared. Me neither. I guess this movie takes place in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> or it's a beef Wellington, maybe. Uh, towards the border on Saturday. However, Nia gets a uh, conception summons and goes to the clinic, where she discovers that she is pregnant and so is taken to the DEN. And, and almost the den. Silas visits Jonas about the situation, who tells him to stay calm and go back home. Depressed, uh, Silas goes home and becomes saddened. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sentence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bess, upon hearing from Jonas and seeing that Nia is stage 4 takes her to a room with Jonas and Max and brief Nia on a deceased stage 3 SOS patient Eva they then help her to fake her death by switching identity implants with Eva so does any of this sound familiar at all? no okay. <laughs> I'll just keep going then so that Eva is considered alive and Nia is considered dead she, says she is successful and leaves the den but doesn't quite find Silas at his apartment or sorry, doesn't find Silas at his apartment Meanwhile, Silas finds out that Bess, Jonas, and Gillian? What? Anyway, and Gillian were betrayed by Max and were given the cure. He goes to the den where they tell him Nia died, and so he contemplates suicide on a, a rooftop, but gets the cure instead. <laughs> That's also a funny sentence. <laughs> he returns to his apartment and finds Nia alive, and that his treatment for SOS was in vain. He remembers her, having loved her, and their escape plan, but doesn't remember feeling it. The next morning, Nia is heartbroken. They take the Wellington train. I'm sorry. The next morning, with Nia heartbroken, they take the Wellington train. With some measure of empathy for her, and though the physical and through the physical contact of holding her hand, Silas reveals the cure is not a racist feelings for Nia. <clears throat> That's it. That's profound. Um, I just realized Nunes is kind of like a uh, reuniting Nicholas Holt and Courtney Eaton from Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. It's like an unofficial sequel. In both ones, he seems like an asshole in both movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, Equals is such a terrible movie. Do you agree with me? Maybe just run through that one more time and I'll, I'll give you my impression. Okay, should I just do... Uh, okay. <clears throat> in a future dystopian utopia, citizens known as members live under the collective of a legislative body who monitors people's actions. Sorry, a bit, a bit slower. I can't really understand. <laughs> citizens are mentally stabilized and all emotions and most illnesses are eradicated with Emotion. Wait, just a little bit, little bit slow. And sexual activity. Can you modulate a little bit higher as well? Just in case. <laughs> okay, Contrary to the just a little bit higher. Society's rules. <laughs> 
Sorry, can you go back to the start again to <laughs> have it all in that voice? Uh, no, sorry, I, I can't do that. Okay. Oh, Brown, oh.